the majority of the people that, that are in the program are doing a brilliant job at this. They are totally prepared and up for the session's requirements. And they're, they're knowing their numbers and they're telling me, last week I'm, I did these numbers and, and they're actually texting me saying, I'm, I'm so wrapped, I improved on last week's session. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Ask yourself this question, are you good at training? Do you think you train effectively or efficiently? And in our experience, two athletes can get the exact same program and have wildly different experiences from the same session or the same training week. That's because there's an art to training. And today we're going to take you through the top training skills that you should master to get the most out of your training and ultimately go faster. So dad, welcome back to another episode. Firstly, our starting segment, what are you grateful for? Um, thanks, George. And uh, looking forward to this uh, episode as, as always. Um, um, I just want to clarify, yes, training is so important to our performance um, before I get into the gratitude, but don't forget we are there to race mm-hmm. um, and training, we should call it practice. Get yes. your practice right and you'll, and you'll train very well. Yeah. Um, don't, don't train like you're racing. You should be training to race, practice to race. So mm-hmm. just before I, I move on, that's a point I want to make at the start. So. Um, really good topic, uh, and we've got a lot to say about it, actually. Um, my gratitude, um, it's in- interesting because I've had to really understand and learn a lot of the the uh, tips that uh, we give out on this podcast. I've actually had to really use in my, um, my own um, rehab, and uh, it's been a really good learning lesson for me. Um, so... Um, just don't want to bore, you, bore too many people too much, but I want to keep people updated on how the rehab's going and the progression is slow and, and I'm okay with that. Um, but I'm progressing, um, you know, a couple hundred meters of walking each, further each day, which is fantastic. But my gratitude is that I know that if I trust the process, I will actually get the right outcome. So I'm grateful for knowing that knowledge, for, for having that knowledge thrown down everybody else's throat that I've that I've passed that on to um, and now I'm grateful that I can actually use that knowledge for my own purpose to if I just concentrate on trusting the process t- taking each each session and each day one day at a time in three weeks time I will be 15 minutes further up the road than I was today so trust the process and uh, it will end up being where you want it to be it might take longer than you thought it might take 12 12 months before I'm actually the way I was before, but um, but I'm just going to trust that process. I'm going to stick to that. So I'm grateful for that knowledge. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the day you have your first ride and you can update everyone on the podcast and then you do your first FTP test again and then you, we see where your watts are at and then we see your improvement from there. So it should be good for the uh, audience to join in. Uh, my gratitude is for my uh, current uh, new running shoe rotation. A couple of months ago, I went and saw Mitch, who was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, uh, my shoes were due for an update. I'd done enough mileage in them or kilometers in them. Um, and of course, had the usual experience of going into the store and trying on a dozen shoes and uh, got a, a daily trainer shoe, uh, which ended up in the ASICS Nova Blast. And we shouldn't really say um, that a specific shoe is better uh, because if you listen to the podcast with Mitch, he's saying the brand doesn't matter. But I'll, I know people are always curious as to what you're running in. Um, and then my kind of speed work shoe, a bit more tempo threshold sessions or any speed work. I'm in the endorphin speeds. Um, and then the uh, racing shoe is actually I've moved away from not not the Alphafly, not any Nike, not the Asics um, meta speeds, but actually Sacconi as well uh, in the endorphin pro. Uh, and they've got a really interesting shoe in that it's the first time ever where the heel has no uh, material. It's just basically mesh. Um, so it's a really interesting feeling, uh, but they feel unreal to be honest so um yeah it's, it's some of the best shoes I, I've, I've felt in um it's been a slow process of a couple of years of transitioning out of getting used to running into smaller shoes you know mitch's advice has been go, get into bigger shoes uh, and he still started me on some kind of you know supported and, and heavier shoes it's just so the change wasn't too big but we've kind of slowly moved up to um some shoes that really 
have you give you some um, some return uh, on the run, and I'm now running in daily trainers that are quite bouncy and quite fun to run in. So uh, yeah, that's the best shoe rotation I felt I've had um, ever. So really grateful for that. Well, that's a good point too, Joy, because your body's actually adapted to the load, um, and as you get fitter as a runner, you can you know, ad- you know the body can cope with with some upgrades so it's it's a really good point to make yeah moving on before we get into the topic what's caught our attention around the world some some quick points to make up that we feel like you can definitely learn from uh the first one i want to start with is uh lionel sanders who is uh one of the best characters in triathlon i think he's just his uh youtube channel has grown in popularity because of his raw unfiltered nature he gives pre-race analysis of how he thinks he's going to go. He uploads the race itself and a post-race analysis and he's always he's never hiding anything. He, he lays everything on the table. He puts his ego aside and it's really it's a really good watch and listen. Uh, but he just put out a recent vlog which just honestly shocked me um, and I sent it in a group chat to our kind of Travelo team just going, this can't be real, can it? And he admitted that uh, basically his diet has been incredibly poor um, and he feels like that is a big reason for why he's had some pretty poor results in, in recent months and he, and he needs to fix it. And he went into detail, so much detail as to saying that he has no nutrition plan. Uh, he doesn't watch what he eats at all. He eats absolute crap. He barely eats any protein at all. Uh, he's a vegetarian and he doesn't really eat any kind of servings of, of fruit or vegetables. Um, and you can be a vegetarian and get enough protein or a vegan and get enough protein. Um that wasn't the part that shocked me. It's the fact that he is choosing to be vegetarian, but he hasn't replaced his his lack of meat source with any protein intake, which we know from every single um, nutritionist that's come on this podcast is probably the most vital macronutrient for an athlete. Um, for him to just not be having enough of that and, and competing at the top level and coming second at the world champs last year, uh, that absolutely floored me. I, I just could not believe that this is his diet. Uh, he's just not. He's getting a severe lack of nutrients in. Um, one that he's performing so well, but two that no one around him has fixed this yet. You know, and he kind of has. He's talked about constantly feeling fatigued, constantly feeling like he's not recovering from sessions. He put it down to old age, and now he's he's realised that it's nutrition. So kudos to him for admitting that. But that still just absolutely shocked me at almost the um, the amateurness of 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 uh, uh, going about his nutrition this way. Yeah, um, I actually watched the same vlog and uh, I was just, my jaw dropped a bit. Um, uh, and uh, what you just finished with uh, really was the good point, I thought. Well, he's actually thinking deeply about his form and his, his form is deteriorating and a really scary thought. And, you know, I heard him say things like, I'm washed up, I'm, you know, if I can't do this anymore, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Um, and they're all the thoughts, the, the demons that come into your head. Um, and, you know, it, he, it really affects you mentally. Um, when, you, when you know you've got uh, scores on the board that you have performed at a high level and for some reason you can't attain that uh, level again, you start to question everything. And and finally, he got around because he questioned everything else, um, the type of training he was doing, um, recovery, sleep, um, um, the intensity of his training, um, the environment, um, you know, all these things. Was I racing too much? Was I racing not enough? Um, was I being specific enough? And finally, you know, you've got to look at, you know, how's my, how's my strength and conditioning um, and, and diet? And all of those things uh, all contribute. Every one of those things that I mentioned contribute to an overall performance, good, bad, or, or the same. And, and if you don't analyze things in a, in a really um, um, uh, transparent manner, then you're going to sugarcoat everything. Um, you know, I think I'm eating okay. Well, no, let's just go through and find out what I am eating. Um, and basically, that's what he's done. And he, he did point to back in 2017 when uh, he felt that it was the best form of his life. Um, and, you know, that was what it took him to realize that, geez, actually, what protein am I having? And, you know, when he looked back since that time, virtually none. Um, and it is a uh, an amazing feat that he's been able to compete. Imagine if he actually has the right fuel in his body. Um, it would be interesting to follow the progress now if, if he starts to eat correctly, um, how long it's going to take for him to get back 
to to where he you know he probably deserves to be on the podiums um he is a you know he uniquely open and honest athlete and i love that about himself and i mean i feel that he, he hasn't really done many posts lately because i think he's just been so down on himself um because he was quite a regular poster and he's gone very quiet and it's almost like he's had an aha moment like I think I found the answer here. Um, so it will be interesting uh, to see uh, where and how he goes. And so looking looking for reasons as to why your performance is, is uh, deteriorating um, and finding the right answer is, is kind of the number one thing that you, you're trying to trying to establish here. And um, when I look at uh, the training that Lionel's been doing over this period, um, he's been training, you know, really great sessions and he has a training partner, I think, I think it's Trevor Foley, George. Um, if, if that's the right the right person we've got, I could be wrong there. Um, he is actually improving out of sight, uh, training with Lionel, doing the same program, um, and his performances. Uh, he's now come into the top thirty uh, in the world on the PTO rankings, um, and I think he got second at St George seventy point three um, in his last race. So th- they're examples of two guys doing the same program, and one guy is really performing well, and one guy's not. Um, so what about that training is is working for one person it's not working for the other uh, it could be many reasons we don't know exactly what they're doing or how they're going about it but but one person is in good form and the other person isn't um, Lionel's not uh, he's not performing well in any races um, to his expectation of being a winner or on the podium every time so he's still performing quite well actually um, but it's not at his level um, so this guy who's training with is actually you know, doing PBs every time he races. Um, uh, and, yeah, there's an example of, um, you know, trying to establish what is not going right. And I think I think that's that's really worth worthwhile for every age grouper out there um, to, you know, feel like your form is not going well. Just really go through with a fine tooth cone about what things are you doing well, which is really relatable to what we're going to talk about in today's topic. Yeah, and uh, it has to be said that we are the biggest supporters of Lionel. Anytime he's on the start line at a race, uh, we want him to win because we just love it, the way he goes about it. We love um, just his mental resolve and um, how much of a fighter he is. And again, kudos to him for going through this process because he, he was having a lot of doubt and he was saying, is it true? Am I washed up? Am I am I just too old? Can I just not compete like I used to? Did I peak five years ago? And you know, he really does deep to, to search with himself and find some answers and then not only that he's um admitted to the world a pretty um you know almost embarrassing truth as an athlete that um i've been doing making this basic mistake and i need to fix it so uh, massive kudos to him and we love to hear it and uh, it was a shock but uh we're hoping that you know it's really actually a really exciting opportunity for him because it's like well he's been performing this well with such a poor diet um and not focusing on the right things and uh, you know if he fixes those things and you know, coming second at the World Ironman Championships, coming fourth still at St. George a couple of weeks ago, which, like you said, to him is not up to his standard, um, means that, yeah, he can start pushing for, for wins again, which is really exciting. Um, well, what, before we go into the topic, what's caught your attention? What point did you want to make bring up? Yeah, um, it's kind of a little flow on from what we've just been talking about. Um, and and I, I find myself a lot of times having to almost counsel some of um, some of the athletes that we coach um, who might be going through a bad patch, and, and and having Lionel's example is kind of a a good segue to talk about. You know, a lot of the pros have periods where they're not performing at their best, um, and whether it's a team situation or an individual, um, you know, the expectation is that you perform day in day out, year in year out, and. And that's just not possible. And and the sooner people understand that as an age grouper, when the best in the world are still struggling with with actually understanding how to how to get themselves to to perform the way they want to as regularly as they want to, as age groupers, we need to actually understand that you know there's only going to be certain periods um, that we can actually um, have have really good breakthrough um, um, improvements and it's not going to be something that's going to be happening every day every week every year and there will be periods you know if you're training towards an a race and you have a great preparation you have a really good taper and your form on the a race is spot on you've done a great job that's a huge tick but then after that race you need to recover and that might be for anything from one week to four weeks, both mentally and physically. So your form for that period might be going up 
at a really sharp angle. And then the minute you take a, a break or a, a period of recovery, your form will drop instantly over a period going in the other direction. So then you, you restart your program for the next campaign that might be another 20 weeks away. And then you're so disappointed that your FTP when you did prior to the as an example to the A race you've just done might be 300 watts and here you are struggling to do 265 in your next test four weeks later. I find it I, I find it's a struggle that I have to explain to them that it isn't expected that you would be at 300 watts. The expectation is that you would be anywhere lower than 300 and if you are at 300 watts, that's quite remarkable in fact that you would be able to maintain the, the power that you could do a month ago without training really. Um, so so I, I want to get the message across and what's caught my attention is there are so many pros who are having struggles with form. Um, look, Sam Long, who's a big vlogger as well, you know, he was basically told by most of the people who follow him to, to also give up because he's a bit nothing more than a B grader. And all of a sudden he comes out and wins two races back to back. You know, so form is is something that people go through, even the pros. So as age groupers, give yourself a break and don't have expectations that you are going to hold form uh, forever. And, you know, you're, when we talked about this before, look at Gustav and Christian. You know, they're, they've gone brilliantly. Could not have had better seasons. Two, two of the best triathletes in the world last year. Yeah. And now they're trying to change from endurance athletes to sprint and Olympic and and where's their form, Jordan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The another um, World Triathlon Series event on the weekend, Olympic distance, because that's what they're training for. Um, and once again, completely poor results from both of them. Christian was thirtieth, I think, and Gustav was second last again. And this is a really good point to bring up because we've spoken about Gustav and his results uh, multiple times over the last couple of months. Uh, and he's basically last or second last in every um, World World Triathlon event so far in the Olympic distance. Uh, and he just posted on Instagram last week that his mum lost her battle. To cancer um, and it was quite an emotional post and he just said he's really been struggling to deal with it all um, you know to deal with that process with her um, and it's really had an effect on his uh, mental state and training and of course is there can always be a story behind it and we talk about this so much and you know part of his form might just be like Christian he's getting back used to the Olympic stuff and and a lot of it will probably be to do with you know his mum and the illness and the cancer she's been struggling with and now she's passed away so you know that says a lot and this is exactly what you're talking about it's like these things happen and um, you're going to go through bad periods because of it yeah and I think I think Jordan I you know just like the example you gave with Lionel Sanders and now you've talked about Gustav uh, finding the uh, analyzing what you've been doing and and finding the reasons is half half the battle so that you can actually do something about it and in Gustav's um, situation, the stress and anxiety that he would be feeling would, would be the furthest thing he would want to be doing really would be concentrating on, on training and racing correctly when he's, his family's going through you know this period. So, so there's always reasons probably, and as long as you can find out what the reasons are, then you can do something about it. Um, and that's the key to, to probably having a really great career is understanding what's going on in your world and making adjustments. And I suppose that's the segue to, to the next topic, isn't it? Um, really, um, I think, I think everything we've talked about in gratitude and caught our attention is really an, an analogy for what we're going to talk about next. For sure. And one last point I wanted to make was the first Diamond League of the year was on um, last weekend in Rabat. And it's awesome to see that at the start of the season, you are just not seeing anywhere remotely close to these athletes' best times. You know, they are starting their athletic season. It's their first race of the year. The times they're putting up are way off what what their um, season best or personal best could be. And that's not true for every athlete. There are athletes in there that are um, getting season best or PBs. You know, there's often at this early stage, a lot of athletes that aren't quite um, on the world tour circuit and might not be there at the end of the season getting PBs. But, um, you know, the times are just, uh, yeah, you're looking at Olympic um, medal athletes running two, three, four seconds slower than five seconds slower than um, what they're capable of apart from good after guy who I have to say, ran one of the most incredible 1500 meters um, we've seen she ran a 354 basically solo 
Um, it's I think it's in the top 10 fastest 500 meter times of all time for women. So that was a massive outlier. But um, it's this form thing again. You know, they're not coming to this first race demanding that they're in peak form and they can expect that. And the whole kind of field is in the same position. And that's really important because if they had the expectations of, you know, doing every single Diamond League race from the start to the finish uh, in peak form, then they probably actually wouldn't have a very good season because they wouldn't be getting any improvement. So that really has to be said. It's going to be interesting, George, to see if Sagay can continue this form because the Diamond League um, uh, calendar goes for quite a long time leading into the World Championships. And this is a high standard. And I'm going to be so interested to see where this goes and whether she can hold it and and whether this is her her preseason form and she's going to get better. Mm-hmm. So one of two things are going to happen. She's going to uh, hold this and get better or it's going to progressively get, get worse as her form uh, diminishes because as we know um, you know the majority of people can't hold form for four months yep spot on getting into the main topic top training skills uh, that you need to master to get faster and we've created our own list separately and we're going to go one by one um, talking about what's top of our list uh, and kind of go through a bit of an explanation of why we think it's so important so give us your number one on the list ad what was the top training skill you, that you, we see athletes required to master to, to improve Okay, so I'm not putting them in order of priority. These are all that mm-hmm. they are all equally as important as each other. I've got to get mm-hmm. that out in the mm-hmm. in the first sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one of the things that I think uh, really um, helps a lot of the athletes that I coach is, and when I go through this with them, they really then understand what to do going forwards from this point on, and preparation for your session. Um, so understanding and knowing what the session's expectation is and knowing what your level of ability is to meet those expectations. So so preparing properly for every session. And that doesn't mean if you're on a bike session for the day that you get on and you start warming up and then you open up the session and see what, what it is today. That is the, the worst way to go about a session and even worse than that, not even looking to see what, what what's coming up next, just waiting for your Garmin to change resistance and go, oh, okay, now I'm doing five minutes, it says five minutes and not knowing that there's eight five-minute efforts or three five-minute efforts or it goes five minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes. And I've had people tell me that they didn't really know what the session was and and so that that almost makes me throw my, you know, every bit of paper that I've got on the desk up in the air and go, you know, I'm beating my head against the wall here. If you don't understand what the session's requirements are and knowing what your ability in that session should be around so you're in the right swimming zone pace, running zone pace and riding power pace, then what hope have we got that you can achieve the outcome that you want? So so really, you know, understanding and preparing properly for that session. Yeah, and that was actually one of my points. It was very similar point, but um, uh, a little bit more based around the planning of the week and the training sessions and how you're going to approach them. But yeah, being organized and being prepared was one of my key skills uh, because when you think about a training week ahead, there's a lot to consider, especially if you're doing multi, multi-sport, multi swimming, cycling, running. But even if you're just doing one of them, cycling or running, you need to be prepared for where are you going to do the session? Where's the best course to, to complete that session? Uh, for example, uh, today I've got um, running VO2 intervals and I'm in a different city. So all week I've actually been kind of just subtly scoping out um, what area would be best to do the intervals on, what kind of flat section, where can I do a warm-up and then I'll do my warm-up and my trainers and I want to switch to my speed shoes. So where can I potentially you know, leave those shoes? When I get to a session, I want to know exactly where I'm warming up, where I'm going to complete the session, um, what kind of area it is, what terrain it is, uh, be prepared for any weather conditions and we should be doing this for every session of the week you know looking ahead and going okay we've got a zone two ride this day where am i going to do it am i going to do it outside what's the weather looking like for that day what course am i going to do is that appropriate is that got uninterrupted uh, traffic lights usually if it's a home course um, you might do the same course every time you might be prepared to go on the trainer if you're going to go on the trainer at what time are you going to do it you know all week you're thinking about where am i going to fit these sessions in and just being really prepared and really organized is is so key to that and I just hate uh, turning up to sessions underprepared, rushing through things because I haven't thought about exactly what's going to happen, especially these hard sessions. Like I I used today's example, which is a VO2 session. It's a really hard session, you know, and I kind of mentally prepare for it all week and uh, think about, okay, what pace am I going to have to hit? Where am I going to do this? And 
Uh, when I do that, I find I turn up to the session just like I turn up to a race, really prepared for the day. And uh, I prefer to train that way. And I think if everyone is stays organized and and knows their pace or power plan and knows exactly how they're going to complete each session and make sure that you're uh, doing it to the requirements of the session, uh, if you can do that, you are training way more effectively than the majority of people out there. And look, to be fair, I'm I'm really picking on a small percentage of people. Um, the majority of the people. That, that are in the program are doing a brilliant job at this. They are totally prepared and up for the session's requirements. And they're, they're knowing their numbers and they're telling me, last week I'm, I did these numbers and, and they're actually texting me saying, I'm, I'm so wrapped, I improved on last week's session. And, and that's someone who's actually doing the top training skill very well. And, and sure, they'll have days where they actually didn't perform as well as they wanted to, but you know, they still got the session. They still were ready and prepared to do what they thought they would do. They could do, but you know, they didn't actually feel that good on the day. But but that's not the point we're making here. It's really making sure you know what the requirements are, so that you can ex- execute according to how you feel. And more importantly, what happens when you're not prepared and you're not organized? Uh, we've spoken about those examples. You can potentially miss a session because you've run out of time. Um, you turn up to a session, as you said before, not knowing the requirements. So you're not getting the most out of the session. And it's not just about the main set. You know, I count every part of the session from the start to the end uh, just as important to practice your routines, practice your warm-up routine, practice how you feel, practice getting your pace right in those warm-up routines, in the 30-second the warm-up efforts, uh, in the little surges, in the ramp on the bike, or, or the run and then the main set itself executing that so um, when you don't do this uh, you're really doing yourself a disservice it's interesting that we had a, a, yeah. a similar point in there go on yeah i was just going to say and on you know you've maybe uh, realized another point that i wanted to say which was um sometimes a session might be 50 minutes sometimes a session might be an hour and a half and if you've been in a, in a program that's supposedly progressively overloading and for some reason um, you know the, the program has changed slightly because it, it's going to work for you better but you haven't taken any notice of that you're just presuming it's going to be the same as last week and don't presume anything make sure that you check the program because it could have a subtle slight variation of adding five more watts or two more minutes to the actual effort instead of doing six by six minutes this week it's six by six thirty and you know all of a sudden you're getting to the end of the six minutes and you go oh heck why didn't it finish at six and all of a sudden oh damn it i've got 30 seconds to go and oh those 30 seconds are at 120 percent and you know you're actually not getting the value out of the session because you're you're realizing it too late um, and also the time if you've only allowed 50 minutes because last week was 50 minutes and the session's asking you to do an hour 20 and and you start that at 8.30 at night, you know, they're really poor organizational things that are going to cause you not to be able to fulfill the requirements of the session. So understanding the length of the session, the intensity of the session and the variations that might happen, if we're doing a period of training where it's all uh, zone two uh, strength and endurance, for example, well, there will be very subtle variations from session to session. Don't just presume it's going to be the same. Spot on. What is your uh, second second key skill? I suppose this is really relative to me in my own personal journey right at this current time, which is be patient with your rate of improvement and trust the process on a daily basis. So you you know, so you you know that that there are thousands of people in the world who have had to uh, start a program and aim to get to a point, an end point, whether it's two years down the track with your with your main goal or whether it's six months or whether it's 12 weeks. You have to actually go through the process and trust the improvement will come with the time that you've allowed for it. And it won't come in the first seven days or 12 days or 14 or or 20 days. You have to if you want to, if you want to have trust in the fact that the program will will eventually get you to improve, then you have to be patient. So, my, my key point here is being patient and understanding that if you just tick off the stepping stones or the bricks that you're accumulating to build your house, you've got to do them one at a time. And and patience is a key thing. And I get, a, I get a call saying, I thought I'd be better than this by now. And, you know, they've been 16 days into a program 
or, or 40 days into a program. And, you know, the first time they did their test, they were at this level. And the next time they improved 15%. And the next time they do a test, they've only improved 2% or they haven't improved at all. So it's not just going to happen in short periods of time. And we've used this example many times where athletes who we've coached for two, three, and four years um, get to a point where they're, they're just going to another level where the first two years, sure, they've improved, but it's not a level that's, that's where they're at after the year three, four, and five. And, and, and that's something that takes a lot of patience to, to give yourself that big picture goal. And as a 22-year-old, that seems so much easier than a 58-year-old who, who thinks they've got limited time to be a competitive athlete. Um, whereas a 22-year-old actually wants to be quicker sooner, but they've got all their all the next 10 years or 15 years to be as competitive as they want. So, so don't expect things to happen in a minute. Be patient and trust the process. Yeah, and I like how you f- you refer to it as the the boom bust cycle, and it's just this cycle of you know getting really motivated and pushing above uh, what the process requires uh, and that's the boom part and then that results in a bust by you not being able to actually do the program properly. Yeah, and, you know, we've said so many times and it's one of the other points that I make is, uh, which we won't talk about now, but, but you know, your program improvement will always be better if you just stay with the zones that you're, that you're meant to be in. Um, you know, if you feel good on a particular day and you're meant to be doing zone two, oh, but geez, well, I had great legs today. So I just, I, I hope you don't mind. I just, I just did one of my PB efforts on a circuit that uh, I really, I really am good at, you know, I've really tried to break my PB on this circuit for years and I felt great today. So I had a crack at it and I said, oh, what was the circuit? Oh, oh it was an eight minute effort. Um, and here, you know, and I, I said, what, what did you ride at? Oh, it was my PB eight minute power. Um, I said, yeah, but today you weren't allowed to go over zone two because tomorrow you've got, you know, VO2 sets of, you know, nine by one minute efforts. And sure enough, the next day, you know, they can't hit the targets they were, they were aiming for because they did that, that really great session. Um, and, and that's okay occasionally. And then you should adjust the next day so that you're not doing the hard session the next day. So that, that, that decision you make you know, effects. isn't yeah, trusting the process. Yeah. It's actually, it, it has a flow on effect that, that, you know, is going to, is going to actually, if you don't adjust it very quickly, could put you in an actual bust cycle rather than a boom cycle because the, the improvement should be the boom cycle. Mm. You know, um, housing prices start at, at this, at this particular rate and over the next six months, the prices of the houses keep going up and then people go, eventually it's going to actually, you know, bust on itself, and and sure enough, it does because it's unsustainable to do to do the price rises that houses are doing, and that's why there's a bust. But you don't want to be that person who's just pushing the envelope too too high, too much, too soon. You want to be more balanced so that you you're gradually progressing over a six month period. And and you know, the best way to to get uh, the self satisfaction is to continue to look at what you did in week one. You know, I always say get get perspective, you know. If, you, if you're in week 16 and you think, oh, I haven't improved much from, you know, and you're only thinking about the last three weeks, well, I always say, what did you do in week one? You know, what was the numbers you were pushing there? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, I've actually improved 55 watts since week one in, in 18 weeks. Um, and and that's where you get that, that um, feeling of it's okay. It, and that's the patient thing and a- analyzing things that, that, you know, you can get perspective around. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with this point of, of trusting the process and, and, and avoiding the boom-bust cycle. It's such an important skill to um, for an athlete to understand because we see the mis- mistake from beginners all the way up to experience. And I have made this mistake recently because I'm currently on um, a basically a full-time running program, giving the bike away for a little bit. Um, and I started trying to train as much as I was training normally, bike and running. Uh, and I just found I was so sore so quickly because I was just doing all running. And as someone who's got a lot of training experience, uh, I just did exactly what we're saying not to do and just tried to replace all my bike sessions with more running sessions, which is not going to work because my body's just not used to that volume. And you can really risk injury very quickly. And I got very sore very quickly. And it's a big alarm bells. Uh, and I just really found I was too fatigued too quickly just by... Um, just doing too much. And I have to say that 
I think it is the most common mistake that beginners make is just doing too much too soon. And I have so many friends come to me and they say, I want to start running. What's your advice? And I say, I mean, there's a billion things I could say, but I just say, please don't go. Don't go so hard so early. Just be really prepared to, to go easier and you think that's such a boring answer and you think it's not going to help you and, and people just dismiss it and go, oh, no, no, whatever, be fine. But guarantee two months down the track, three months down the track, six months down the track, they've stopped running. You know, So what is it that you need to do to make sure that three months down the track, you're still training um, consistently, that six months down the track, you're still training consistently? That's just the golden question because if what you're doing now isn't sustainable for that long, then it's the wrong program. It's too much and you're in the boom bust cycle. And that's why trusting the process is the key. And, you know, I've had really good runners who can run 5K in 16, 17 minutes, which is quite, quite elite. Um, it's not super elite as, as in Diamond League elite where they're running, you know, sub 12 minute, uh, sub, 13. sub 13 minutes. Um, um, so there'll be a day when they run 12, sub 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Might have um, it, it, some sort of jet jet shoes that have got power in it. But yeah. anyway, um, the point is, you know, I've had them starting with 30 seconds on, 90 seconds off as their rehab program. Um, and they can run brilliantly and, and they're, on, they're on board with the process because, you know, they've been injured, they've been out for a period and they don't want to get injured again. Um, so for a beginner runner, why would they be any different from someone who's actually an elite experienced runner? And, you know, when they say to me, oh, I thought I could be able to go for a 30-minute run. Well, well, you haven't run 15 years or five years or three years or three months. You just can't resume to where you, you left off. So that's a training skill that people need to understand that, that totally, um, if you're on board with that, then you will be able to improve at a rate of knots. And all of a sudden, you know, we've got, um, one of one of our coaches, Nick Lacandro, doing exactly that. He wanted to start a running program, and he's a he's an elite cyclist, you know, at, as fit as possible. But he's fit for cycling. He's not fit for running. Um, and and he started with thirty ninety, and he just copped it and and said, "Yep, I'm going to do that." And and already in this program, he's up to probably week eight or nine, and he's now running, you know, six by four minutes, six by five minutes, and. And he's trusted the process, not got sore, and he's improved. And with Dad, we had another athlete with the opposite experience, someone who also hadn't run for 15 years or so and wanted to start getting back into it. And we gave the example of uh, 30 seconds of running, 90 seconds of walking. And they took that and went and did 60 seconds of running and 30 seconds of walking. And then called you up and said, uh, I'm so sore. They've almost done a calf injury. And it's just it's the slightest detail. and They've just done too much, you know, and that's exactly how easily it can happen. That's what we're talking about. So my next point that I want to bring up, and it kind of takes it back a, a, back a level, but it's really a, a skill that you need to master and keep learning to master uh, is your ability to use data. And from, from a beginner's perspective, this means actually understanding what power is and how to read it and how to use power and what you're actually looking at and understanding those numbers as well as pace in your running and pace in your swimming. But using other elements of data as well, um, especially while you're cycling, you know, it's, it's comparing your power with your speed. So, you're getting good and good gauges of, you know, when you push 200 watts, what does that generally speed-wise for you in a training session? When you've got your full, um, you know, kit on, when you've got your full racing wheels on, your racing kit on, maybe your aero helmet, what does that power equate to on race day? So, you can actually get experience of when you come to race day, knowing what your general power should be um, and how does that feel for you? You know, what does 200 watts normally feel like for you? What does 250 watts normally feel like for you? What does 300 watts feel like for you? And you can do this in the warm-up of your training sessions which is why the warm-up is so key. But you're constantly getting a gauge of how am I feeling today? Is is my normal ramp warm-up of 150 watts to 180 to 210? Does that feel comfortable? Uh, today, it feels like a 5 out of 10, which is normal. Or today, it feels like an 8 out of 10 in toughness. I must be really tired. You know, this is what we're talking about in, under, in starting to learn the skills of using data, comparing it to your potential heart rate. Is your heart rate slightly higher than normal? Are you using your resting heart rate uh, consistently? Are you using your starting heart rate in a, of a training session? Are you using your, your potential max heart rate inside your main sets? You know, when you do five by five um, VO2 intervals, um, is your heart rate normally sit around 170, but today it's around 180? Does that mean you're pushing harder? and you're getting fitter, um, is, is your heart rate getting lower? I'm just giving constant examples here of your ability to use data and understand data is so key to getting the most out of your training sessions. Yeah, look, I just had literally this afternoon an example of um, an athlete who's uh, just started the program and not quite across um, the ability to use data and, and, and it's not his fault. 
Uh, it's a training skill that needs to be learnt. And I, w- I was not uh, getting um, cross at, he- at what he'd done, um, but but he just didn't understand um, how important that aspect of it was. And what was what were we talking about? He was using the Zwift app, which we think is fantastic, but one of the the key downfalls is, of the Zwift app is it doesn't have average power. It only has instant power or three-second power. And so here he is trying to do, you know, threshold effort that that's, you know, probably 20 minutes. Um, and he's looking at the Zwift screen and he's just getting so frustrated because every pedal revolution is jumping from, he's trying to ride it. 250 watts and he's doing 265 then he's doing 240 then he's doing 250 again then he's pressing harder and doing 270 then he's trying to ease up and the next thing he's doing 230 and he's just got no idea of what his average power is for that section of time and and when he's finishing he's asking me what did i do and so straight away by just using one app incorrectly and not using the lap power function of his bike computer where he would see what his average power is from the minute he pushes lap to the minute he f- pushes stop he would see what his average power is for every every second segment. that it's going yeah, yeah. Uh, for that segment and and that's that's a learnt skill in in you know training and not his fault he just didn't wasn't aware. Um, you know, it's a downfall of Swift not to have that uh, option. But, but you know, the majority of us who use that, we use the Swift functionality for other reasons, and we use our computer to keep a tab on the segment that we're trying to ride the power to. Perfect. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's as accurate a summary as I can give to uh, for an example of my point. So that's really good. Your point number three. Your skill number three. Um, yeah. Um, the majority of the listeners in this podcast uh, are, are really into endurance sport, and and you know it is a great a great sport to be involved in. Whether you're a marathon runner, or an endurance swimmer, or a, or a triathlete, um, or a cyclist who who just loves doing grand fondos that are five, six, ten hours long, um, gravel riders who have got challenges that are unbelievable so endurance is the thing that this podcast is is all about um and the the summary of endurance could be literally from you know an hour onwards um you know because there is time is probably uh, the biggest accurate uh, identifier of what endurance is um it's it's an event where you can't do your maximum um, you, but you have to measure your effort at a sub-maximal effort or less. Um, so, so we're in an endurance sport. So I think we need to give more respect to the key training skill, which is the endurance session. And, and all the other sessions are unbelievably important in your program. But the endurance session is the number one thing that's going to help you the most. Not only improve your aerobic fitness, um, allow your body to cope with the load that uh, an endurance event um, handles, understanding how your nutrition gets burnt and the amount of fuel you need, and the list goes on. So you need to be practicing that one session, and that is a skill to, to, to learn how to, to get the most out of that endurance session and give it the respect that it, it desires and, and, and requires. Um, and it is a training skill that's learned. You can't, you can't, if you're trying to do an endurance sport and the longest run you've been for is 30 minutes, that is a, that's your endurance run at this particular point in your program. If you're an experienced runner and you've been regularly doing two-hour runs, then that's where you would you would absolutely be starting for, for in, in a program that is based around you doing some endurance type of, uh, of race. Um, so, so respecting you know, where your ability is and, and your experience is and then applying that to your program uh, as a starting point and working upwards from there. Um, so, so making sure that you, you know, it, it is very specific and relating to the sport you've chosen and I've, you know, we always list whether it's a marathon or a, or an Ironman triathlon or 70, 70.3 triathlon or a, or a Grand Fondo that's 140K or a swim event that's 10K. Um, so you need to understand the requirements of that sport and then you aim your endurance session and you train your skills around that endurance session to replicate something that's going to happen on race day. And and you know, our aerobic fitness really is the cornerstone of our ability to actually then ride, swim, or run faster on the day that it counts. So if you don't have that aerobic fitness, 
you can't actually do the other sessions well and you can't improve on race day. So the biggest improvements come from a combination of all of the sessions. But in my opinion, if you're more aerobically fit than you've ever been before, you can actually ride, run and swim faster than you have ever before. Because we've been doing experiments on on ourselves and every athlete we coach. And the, the more aerobically fit they are, funnily enough, the faster they do PBs um, day in, day out, year in, year out. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just so spot on. And um, the key question that you ask uh, any new athlete or any athlete that's potentially signed up for a program and often they'll be preparing for a race that's coming up and you ask them this golden question, which is, uh, what was your longest ride or what was your longest run? You know, if they're doing a half Ironman or Ironman, uh, if they're doing a, like you said, a, a Grand Fondo bike race, endurance race, it's eight hours or, or a marathon, you're going, okay, what was your longest session? And more often than not, majority of the time, the answer is uh, way under what it should have been. You know, if it's a if it's a um, Ironman distance they're trying to complete, the longest ride is is eighty k or ninety k, where it needs to be one hundred and sixty k or one hundred eighty k. They need to have done that before um, the actual event. Same thing with a marathon; you don't have to have completed a marathon, but a lot of people their maximum run was two hours, whereas they're going to be running for four and a half hours on marathon day or five hours. They need to have completed a three hour run, you know, and. And even we've, we've got some ultra runners that are doing 16-hour events. Uh, and the shock at first when you tell them that they need to go out and run eight hours on a Sunday uh, is extreme. But if that's the requirements of the event, that's what you're talking about. And it really is um, such an important part of a training program to get right. And my point was uh, basically a subset of this, which is my next point, which is pretty funny. But um, yeah, the, the understanding and the ability to execute um, the required segments of a training session. So, you're talking about the endurance and my point was understanding that this is what the session is, this is what the goal of the session is um, and this is how you have to execute it. And getting that right will just make your training week so much more efficient for every single session. So, you're required to go on this endurance run and you're not required to go above zone two and we don't want your heart rate going above zone two. We don't want your power or your pace numbers going above that zone two threshold um, and that is your goal for the session. And then it kind of translates to every single other session. But here's your VO2 session. We need you in these zones and executing that segment of the session. In your warm-up, we don't want you going over. You know, in your zone two ride or in your recovery ride, we absolutely don't want you going over this heart rate or this or this power. And your ability to do that will just um, ensure that you're getting the absolute most out of your week and getting the most out of each individual session. Yeah, and look, I can give you an example of someone who told me on the weekend they uh, they had a zone two endurance ride, and uh, the Trivalo bunch happened to go past them, and and uh, the Trivalo bunch for that particular day uh, were riding uh, with some intensity, a group of the Trivalo guys training together, um, and uh, the guy decided to jump on the back, and it was way above the level that he was meant to be doing for that day, and and you know it sounds really harsh to say, oh, you did the wrong thing there. But my answer to him was there would be some days where an endurance uh, ride, there could be segments where I want you to do some intensity and it's just not a zone two day. That wouldn't be every week. And every week it wouldn't be just zone two. There would be you know variations of that session, which is what you're talking about, executing whatever the session's requirements are. And, and endurance, as an example, uh, for that particular day is not the day for that guy to jump on the back of any bunch that he sees going faster because it looks like fun. But the days where he has endurance and there is intensity, I'll be saying, yeah, go for it. Jump on the back of any bunch that's going faster than than you are currently and, and have that unpredictableness of intensity. So it's really understanding that there are certain days when you can have some fun and do something outside of the box that will contribute to the requirements of the of the of the session that you're that you've been asked to do, um, but don't do that every single time you you know you're out training and some other bunches ride past when when you might be on a recovery day you might be on a, a zone two day, and you might be um, you might be expected to do VO two sessions but you find a group that you like riding with for that particular day and they're only riding zone two so you're actually not doing the hard session. So they're, they're examples of, of getting the day right for the particular session. Um, and, and, and that's a hard one because it feels like we're being restrictive um, and, and almost like a spoil sport coach. But it, it's not. It's, it's, there are days where you are allowed to do those hard days, but get those days right and coincide with if your mates are doing that on, the, on that particular day, then, 
then ride with them on a day that they are riding hard when you're supposed to be riding hard. But don't ride with them on the day that – because your mates probably don't have a really good program. Their program is ride hard every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And and the days that, that, that you want to do something different, stay away from them. The days that you're they're doing something that's relatively similar to you, join in with them. And and that's, that's enabling you to execute the segments of the session – that your goal session is, and that takes a bit of skill, and that's what the topic is. You know, what are the key training skills? And that's one of them, understanding yep. which days to join in and which days not to. I think it should be said that uh, the fitter you are, and you might not like me saying this, but the fitter you are and the more experienced you are, the more flexibility you have with this. You can sometimes afford to to go a little bit out of the range of the sessions because your body can recover. You've got such good training experience in you. You can afford to have a little bit more fun and that's not always the case because that can lead to going way outside and, and ruining your next few days but generally when you're fitter you could jump on the back of a bunch you know finish off your ride with them and it won't affect your next day and that's that's really a fun point to get to but for the beginner it's so important to kind of be a little bit more rigid in the training and to understand this skill and to get your training right um, while you're building up your experience and that's just the way it is and we're not like I said we're not trying to be sport sports but this is going to be the best way for you to improve and the fastest way for you to improve and then that can come later once you have a bit more experience so no, I, I absolutely agree with what you said Jordan and I and I'm so happy you said that because it made me realize that that if, you know, the measurement of whether it's right or wrong is in the proof in the pudding. And and what does that mean? Let's just check what happens the next day and the next seven and the next 14 and the next 21 and the next three months. If you continue to do that, um, that, you know, take the alternative route, we might say, um, and if you find that you're not improving and you're getting fatigue, then you need to be more um, strict on yourself and stay within within the uh, the zones that you're asked to. But as you said, the beginner person needs to be very strict with that. Whereas the person who's got lots of experience and it has no effect to their next performance, by all means, um, you know, have some fun most days. But but you know, there there has to be a almost an L plate uh, learning <laughs> process before before you get to that point. You have to earn your dues and. And you, you know, it will take you longer to get to, to to your destination if you if you continue to not understand the rules of learning to drive a car, and you just skip all those, and you keep failing the test, um, and you have to go back and reset the test. It's because you didn't do the process properly, and that's understanding, you know, the segments of of the session. Um, and it's worse if you're a beginner, and it's a lot easier to get away with if you're experienced. Yeah. So, we had six points each. Uh, we've gotten through three each so far. Um, we're getting uh, towards the end of the episode and I don't want to rush to the point. So, I think we're going to do a part two here and we'll go through the final three points each uh, in part two in the next episode. I think that's going to be the best way to do it. So, uh, anything final from you, Dad, while we finish off this episode? No. If, uh, I, you know, I, I think this is it's great that uh, with all the things that are happening around the world with sport and so many exciting things and and most of the sports are coming into the, you know, the Giro's just been on and the, the Diamond League starting and, uh, and uh, a lot of the main triathlons in the world are starting again. There's so much to talk about. It's been great just to talk about uh, training for the age grouper and giving really good tips and and this is what our podcast has been really um, trying to aim at. Um, and I really love doing these uh, sessions because it gives free advice to people who really are looking for for help in, in their program. And so, um, you know, hopefully uh, we're getting the messages across. We're not trying to be a dictatorship here. We're just trying to give tips that will help you become a better athlete in your own, in your own world and journey. Brilliant. That's uh, where we're going to end up for this episode. Join us for part two on the next one and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.